I grew up in a home where truth-telling was of the utmost importance. Your word was your bond, your reputation, your integrity, your character. Holding to what you said reflected what was inside your heart. Your word was your bond. I was always fascinated as a kid by the parable of the boy who cried wolf. Many of you know that the parable of the boy who cried wolf. A little shepherd boy in training goes out to the rolling hillside. He's got a host of other mentor shepherds, but he's out there for the first time by himself. And he thought it would be fun to create a stir. And so what does he do? He cries, wolf, wolf. And all the older, older mentor shepherds come, where, where, where? Oh, just JK, as, as our kids say, just, just kidding. Oh, a few days go by. Again, he thought it would be fun to ruffle feathers. And he says, wolf, wolf. And the mentor shepherds come in, where, where? Just kidding. And then when it counted, first time he sees a wolf, he cries wolf. But what happens? No one comes running. No one comes running. When it counted, in his hour of need, he had eroded his reputation through his lying, through not telling the truth. His lies eroded his reputation, his trustworthiness, his believability. And so the hour, when it counted, no one came a-running. No one believed him. Truth-telling is paramount. It is of the utmost importance. Living a truthful life where you hold to your word is of the utmost importance, particularly in the eyes of God. Now, I want to explore a passage with you this morning that illustrates this great truth. Let's turn together in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 in the Bibles we've provided on your chairs. You can find that on page 810, page 810. Uh, we're continuing this morning in our series in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You can find the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, wonderful sermon, well-known sermon that covers three chapters in Matthew. And the title of this series is The Ways of the King. The Ways of the King. So what we find in the Sermon on the Mount is the ethic of Jesus' kingdom. What it looks like to be a kingdom citizen, to be one of his subjects, one of his followers, what your life is to be about, the qualities, the characteristics of the king and those in his kingdom. Truth-telling is one of those, and that's where we're headed this morning. Matthew 5, I'll read verses 33 through 37. Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. My aim in this sermon is for you to receive this singular charge. Always tell the truth 
and you'll never have to swear oaths. Always tell the truth, and you'll never have to swear oaths. Now, let me just get this out of the way at the outset here. This does not mean if you have to take the stand as a witness, you say, you you plead to your religious preference that you can't do that. Now, your, your civic duty is to get up there and, and be a witness. This is not what this, this is about. Uh, this is about the, the frivolous use of oaths to try to bolster your believability, when in reality, your life of truth-telling should be enough for people to believe you. Okay, So this is not about your civic duty of being a witness or getting on stand. Okay, Jesus has something else in mind. So always speak the truth, and you'll never need to swear oaths. That's, that's our aim for this morning. I want to unpack this message in, in three parts. Here's the first, oath-making gone awry. Oath-making gone awry. That's what we see in the initial part of the passage. Jesus says in verse 33, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, by way of review, if perhaps you've not been able to join us in this series in the Sermon on the Mount so far, we're in the midst of several clarifications that Jesus makes about the Old Testament, God's instruction in the Old Testament Jesus claims to be the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament, all of the law and the prophets, all of God's instructions in the Old. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And what that means is he's the truest application. He shows God's truest intent behind the law. And so he gives us six clarifications or six examples of how he is the true intent, the true application of God's law. So six times over in Matthew 5, 21 through 48, he says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. What is he doing? He's clarifying the common understanding of the day. He's showing them the true interpretation and application of God's word. So we've dealt with issues of anger. Jesus reveals God's true intent behind anger, lust, divorce, and now this is the fourth clarification. It's about oaths, truth-telling, essentially. Well, what was going on at the time that prompted Jesus to include this in his very important Sermon on the Mount? Every word, every paragraph is important in the Sermon on the Mount. What, What was going on that prompted Jesus to include this? Well, the cultural backdrop is oath-making gone awry. Oaths in and of themselves were not sinful. They were not forbidden. In fact, God permits them in his scripture. In fact, God makes them. He makes an oath with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant or promise. He makes the one with David that there will be a king who will rule forever through the lineage of David. God is an oath maker, an oath keeper. God made them. He gives permission to his people to make them. For example, Numbers 30, verses 1 and 2. Numbers chapter 30, verses 1 and 2. Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, this is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by pledge, 
he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Notice the intent, the aim behind God allowing oaths. The aim was truth-telling. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. God was desirous of truth-telling, of people to be people of their word. The problem in Jesus' day is that what was known as the tradition of the elders, which was sort of oral collections of teaching by rabbis and elders that kind of extrapolated and added to God's word, those circulating teachings allowed all manner of oaths to be taken Swearing by different objects in the temple oftentimes. Some of those oaths were binding and some of them were not binding. Well, why would you have a, a system around unbinding, non-binding oaths? Herein lies the problem. It provided a loophole for lying. A way out of truth-telling. A way not to hold to your word. If you knew in your mind that you could swear by a certain object in the temple, but it really wasn't going to be binding, you would say it because you, you weren't going to be held accountable to it. A whole system had developed around oath-making, things that you could swear by that were binding and things that you could swear by that weren't binding. For example, Matthew 23, same book of the Bible, Matthew 23, 16 through 22. Jesus takes the Pharisees to task in this portion of Matthew. He says, Woe to you, you blind guides. These are the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by oath. You see the distinction here? Swear by the temple, eh, it doesn't really matter. You don't have to hold your word. You swear by the gold, something valuable in the temple, he's bound by oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. A whole culture had developed around oath-making, things that were binding and things that were not binding. They wanted a loophole so that they could deceive, so they could not be held accountable. Men and women love darkness and deceit. It is the way of the world, the lying tongue. They wanted a loophole. Religious people wanted a loophole to wiggle right out of being held accountable to their word. That's what's going on here. And that's what Jesus addresses. There's danger in this when you're trying to wiggle a way out of telling the truth. This terrible system of extra biblical rules that allowed people to get away with dishonesty. Brothers and sisters, dishonesty is destructive. You don't need me to pre. You see the fruits of that in your lives, in your children's lives. 
your loved ones, co-workers. This was oath-making gone awry, a culture of oath-making that did not foster truth-telling. That was the problem. In fact, it was a culture that nullified God's very heart and intent and purpose behind allowing people to tell oaths in the first place, Numbers 31 and 2. Why did he allow them to tell oaths? So that they would hold to their word. Yet they distorted it and created this whole system where they could wiggle out of the word. That's what's at, at hand here. That's what's at play. God's desire is for truth. And God's desire for his people is to be truth tellers. One more little example from the Old Testament here. These are instructions to God's people who've just come out of exile and are reestablishing themselves in the land, rebuilding the temple, and several prophets come alongside them to spur them on towards right living so as not to bring the consequences back upon them. So the prophet Zechariah spurs God's people to truth-telling. Zechariah chapter 8, verses 16 and 17 these are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. The gate was the place of judicial happenings, of court dealings and judgments being made. Do it with truth and justice and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and do not love false oaths. Don't love lying. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. The Lord hates dishonesty. He is a God of truth, of pristine, pure truth-telling. I hate these things. I hate dishonesty. This is what Jesus is targeting. Oath-making gone awry. Second, Jesus confronts this wayward oath-making. You see this in verses 34 through 36. Jesus confronts wayward oath-making. Let's look again at these three verses. Jesus says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. What's Jesus' point here by listing things in Jerusalem, in the, in the temple, in heaven? These are, he's surveying these various places and objects that people at his time would swear by. Well, what does he do? Notice what Jesus does. He connects every oath to God. No matter the location, heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. No matter what you swear by, God has oversight of it. He's involved in all of it. He, in fact, is overseeing your every word. So it doesn't matter what you swear by, your word is binding because God superintends it all. He sees everything that you say. He hears it all. That's what Jesus is saying. There's no such thing as a trivial oath. There's no such thing as a loophole for lying. He sees it all. Friends, there's no such thing as a half-truth. A half-truth is a full lie. There's no such thing as that. God, God sees it all. Don't be trying to wiggle your way out of truth-telling. That's what these, that whole system of oath-making was all about. God sees it all. Heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. 
The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He superintends it all and he sees it all. He hears it all. Let your word be your bond. You don't need to pledge things. You don't need to swear by this and by that. We need to be careful, even, even among Christians, how we, this kind of falls under the, the third commandment, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. We ought not to say, I swear to God, this is true. That's misusing God's name. The only time you should use the name God or Jesus Christ is in a Bible study or in a sermon or in a prayer. That's it. Don't misuse God's name. It's precious. It's powerful. Those are the only times you use it. In a Bible study, in your own personal devotions, in a sermon, or in a prayer is when you say God and Jesus Christ. Be careful how you use God's word. Further, if you swear by your head, what good is that? By swearing by your head, this is, this is where, I, when I was a teenager, um, across my heart, hope to die. You know, like th- that kind of thing. You're swearing by yourself. And, and Jesus is saying, friends, that's silly because you can't do anything. You have no power. You can't make one hair white or black. Why would you swear by yourself? You are nothing. You have no power. That, that, that's, that's what he's saying here. That's silliness. Don't swear by your own human strength. It doesn't hold water. No one's going to believe that anyway. Just be truthful. Just be truthful in all things. Your character, your reputation for truth-telling should be of such a high caliber that you don't need to swear oaths or pledges. Your character, your integrity, your day-to-day living should be of such a high caliber you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, that you don't have to swear oaths. Again, I'm not saying in the court of law, please don't go and, and not serve as a witness because this is violating your, your religious convictions. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Your character, your reputation for truth-telling should be of such a character that you don't have to swear oaths in your day-to-day livings. Always speak the truth, and you'll never need to swear oaths. So, We've seen oath-making gone awry. We see Jesus confronting wayward oath-making. Thirdly, and finally, Jesus fulfills oath-making. Verse 37. Jesus fulfills oath-making. Notice how he concludes his teaching on oaths in verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Some translations Say it like this, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. You don't have to swear by anything, you don't have to add any, pile up any other pledges, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus essentially embodies what he teaches earlier in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill God's instructions in the Old Testament I've come to reveal my Father's true intent and application of his word in the Old Testament. And his heart in that Old Testament is that his people would be people of the truth. Be people of the truth. Let your word be trustworthy. Your yes be yes, your no be no. That was God's intent always. And yes, he did, Numbers 30, allow pledges 
to bolster truthfulness. But what happened, it was corrupted as time went on, and men and women just distorted that and had this whole system of oath-making. But his whole heart, his whole intent, the true application here is just be a truth-teller. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. No need to pile up extra things you swear by to boost your believability. Your word should be believable out of the gates, is what Jesus is saying. Friends, Jesus desires us to walk in the truth, to be people of the light, people of honesty. So some application questions, maybe some diagnostic questions. As you look at your life, your lips, are you a truth teller? Are you an honest person? What are ways that you bend the truth in your life? What are ways that you excuse little white lies? There's no such thing as a white lie. It's a black lie. There's no such thing as a half-truth. It's a full lie. What are, what are ways that you fudge just a little bit? God desires us to be people of the truth to walk in the truth, to tell the truth. What are ways that when you tell stories, you embellish just a little bit? Pastor Dane, what are ways that you tell illustrations and anecdotes that you just sort of, you just make a little bit up? We gotta ask ourselves these questions. How do we just bend and fudge and add and embellish just a little bit? God doesn't like that. Just, just tell it straight. Cut it straight. Tell the truth, and the truth will set you free. Your word is your bond. Your reputation is on the line. That you might be believable, trustworthy in the eyes of others, and most importantly, in the eyes of God. Jesus encapsulates truth. What does he say in John chapter 14, verse 6? Very well-known verse. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Walking in the truth is the way of the king. It is the ethic of his kingdom. It's what our lives should be about if we're trusting and following him. Walk in the truth. Follow your Savior and walk in the truth. Brothers and sisters, I also want to encourage you, there is hope for liars. There is forgiveness for deceivers. Jesus forgives liars. Just read the New Testament. My favorite stories of transformation is Luke chapter 19. We meet this man, Zacchaeus, a wee little man who had a whole lot of money. You know how he got that money? He got that money by deceit, by lying. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, so he oversaw a whole lot of tax collectors, and it was a shady business. These were Jewish people who were employed by the Roman government to, to collect taxes from their fellow Jewish countrymen on behalf of the Roman government. And what did they do? They went to their Jewish countrymen, and if the tax was, say, $10 in our own sort of 
financial system, they would say the tax is $15, and they would take the extra $5 and line their pocket. It was thoroughly corrupt. They're lying. They're deceiving. And one day, Jesus walks through the town of Jericho, and a little guy named Zacchaeus hears that he's coming, and evidently, there's something going on inside Zacchaeus' heart to make him curious. He wants to see Jesus, but he's too short, and there's two tall people in front of him. So what does he do? He climbs up a sycamore tree to get eyes on Jesus. And as Jesus comes by, he notices this slimy character up in the tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'd like to have lunch with you today. Zacchaeus is shocked. He comes down, he gets his home ready, and he has a meal with Jesus. And evidently in that meal, something profound happens to this deceiver. This deceiver becomes a disciple by the power of Jesus Christ in his life. Through that time of intimacy over the meal, I wish I could just have been a fly on the wall to know fully what was said and how he ministered to Zacchaeus' heart. But somewhere along the line, Zacchaeus declares in the course of the conversation, my Lord, I pay back fourfold what I've stolen from other people. He's repenting. Heart change is happening. I pay back fourfold of those I've defrauded. He's repenting. Jesus takes a deceiver and makes him a disciple. That's an amazing transformation. And that's the invitation. If you look at your life, I look at my life, we see lies. We see half-truths. We see dishonesty. Jesus forgives dishonest people. What you don't want to do is just not confess it and just act like it's not there. Don't do that. Go to your merciful Lord. He forgives our lies, and he transforms us, and he makes us faithful disciples. That is the invitation here. Jesus welcomes sinners. He's a friend of sinners. He forgives liars. He transforms deceivers and makes them disciples. Brothers and sisters, always speak the truth, and you'll never need to swear oaths. I'm learning this truth from my, my fourth grader, Cecile. She plays softball, and last spring she had her skills competition where they do like how many fly balls can you catch, how fast can you run around the bases, how many can you hit, how many balls can you hit out of 10. And I'm just watching her from the sideline, and she's having such fun with her friends. That's what the beauty of sports is just watching them connect together. And they have all these cheers in softball and all these sort of songs of, from you know, modern day stuff. And there, there was this song that she and her friends sang from a movie called, it, it was the song Peaches. Some of our young people might know, might know this. Okay. It's from the Super Mario movie. And she, they just go bananas over this. And I like to sing it too and do a little dance with them. But she's like, Daddy, you cannot sing this song. You cannot do the dance. You're embarrassing me. So I see her, and they start it, and I start doing it from the sideline. She runs over to me with a red face. Daddy, promise me you're not going to sing and dance. Daddy, prom Daddy, pinky promise me. Daddy, double pinky promise me. What is she doing? She's trying to, like, bolster my believability. I said, Cecile, we don't need to do all this pinky stuff. I'll tell you I won't do it. I'm not going to do it. You need to, you need to believe my word. I'll, I'll hold to my word. And as she walks around, I do a little jiggle. No. I gotta, I'm just trying to teach my daughter 
my word is my bond. You can trust your father. You don't have to do these pinky promises and, double, and, and sideways pinky promises. You don't need to do any of that. Believe your dad's word. That's the way to go. Let it be so for us. Let your character, your integrity, your word be believable. You don't have to add other stuff to it to boost its believability. Be people of the truth. Walk in the truth. Follow your Savior, who is the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the privilege it is to come together as a family, to open your word, to read it, to apply it to our lives. Lord, we confess we are, at times, dishonest people. We need your forgiveness. We're thankful that you offer it fully in Christ. You forgive sinners. You forgive liars. You transform deceivers. You make them disciples. It's the business of what you do. So help us to come clean. Empower us, Lord, to walk in the truth, to witness your character well as your kingdom citizens. In Jesus' name, amen.